identity. And while God is explicitly clear around how he sees us, what our identity is in him, we really struggle with that concept of identity, both on an individual level, how we identify ourselves, how we understand who God made us to be, and corporately, how we identify others, what we assume about others and their identity. And this is a big problem because we can miss what God is doing, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. Today, you're going to hear the story of a friend of mine named Lawrence, who God brought us together recently to serve together in some really uh, unexpected and amazing ways. And you'll hear more about those elements in the next episode. But in this episode, you're going to hear his story from when he was a kid to what has led him to who he is today. And identity has been a huge part of his journey. You know, if you, you look at Lawrence now today and you see him serving, you would know that he is a son of God and that he is walking in faith in some amazing ways. But throughout his life, people have looked at him in other contexts or looked at him and made assumptions and have missed his identity completely. And what Lawrence has learned is that it's not about what he's done or even who he was, but who he is and has always been in God. And how as he learns his identity, he can walk towards that in power and confidence and authority. And and through the Spirit, abundantly more can happen than he could have ever asked or imagined. Our identity is that we are children of God. And if we learn that, God can take us places we never thought we could go. You're listening to episode 41 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for the opportunity we have now, um, Lawrence and I, just to sit uh, and just to reflect on who you are, who you've been, who you are, who you will always be. And I just thank you right now for the stories that you have invited Lawrence to be a part of. And the gift that it is to for him to be able to share those, for me to be able to hear those. But most importantly, just we want you to be honored. So we just pray that the Holy Spirit would guide our words. If there's anything that should be said, that we would say it. If there's anything that shouldn't, that we wouldn't. Uh, but in all of this, uh, we just pray that you're glorified. All this pray in his holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is Lawrence I'm sitting with today, and I'm really excited because, yeah, I've known, known Lawrence for a little bit, but we've been getting closer over the last, I don't even know how long, past few months. Some months. Yeah. A couple of months. And just the ways that God's brought us together has been um, really cool to see. Uh, but I've been in, encouraged and inspired by Lawrence and his story. And I was like, hey, Lawrence, I'd love for you, you to share your story. And he's like, mm. I'd love to share my story. So, man, let's just jump in. I mean, you know, you grew up in a, a church, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Two churches, actually. So I grew up confused in church because in the summertime, um, my aunt and uncle, my dad's side of the family were Pentecostal preachers mm-hmm. on the church, right? Or steward of the church. And then throughout the school year, when I left from the summer break, my other grandma on the other side of the family was a Methodist uh, preacher with a Methodist church. Mm-hmm. So I grew up confused. I didn't yeah. know <laughs> which one was right. You know, Pentecostal, uh-huh. you spend the night in church, and Methodist, it was on time. So uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely was raised um, in the church. Never never liked it, honestly. Um, 
saw too much hypocrisy. Uh, you know, just saw a lot of things. It just was a, I was young and didn't understand a lot of, a lot of everything and dynamics of just humanity and flesh and spirit. I didn't understand none of that stuff. Mm. And so, um, regardless of how many summer camps or, you know, even when they would do uh, church baptisms in public rivers or stuff like, I just, I just saw it as a free pool opportunity. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I saw nothing more than that. Spent more time in the streets as things progressed. Um, actually, something I don't even think that you might know, brother, that w- even started uh, a lot of this. Uh, being young and dumb and uh, listening to the enemy was actually. Um, I actually grew up gifted and talented program, straight mm. A student, real educated, real um, silly, goofy, and you know, at a at a place where other. Younger kids mature, and I was still goofy. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see your rug rat box over here. <laughs> I probably was watching that till I was like 14, uh-huh. 13. And yeah, one day came home from school and got robbed mm. by like eight guys. They all surrounded me. Um, and I didn't do anything. I stayed still and uh, froze up in a state of shock. And um, there was actually a crossing guard that I had known since the second grade. Mm. And when this happened, I was in the like seventh grade. So I do this crossing guard every day. We'll talk to her every other day, you know, since second grade all the way until seventh grade. Well, I actually got robbed in front of her. Mm. And when they walked off laughing, I asked her to call the police because she helped me. And she looked at me um, without blinking. And she said, she said, baby, I can't help you. And she went and directed traffic, you know. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. You know, so I walked home in a state of shock. And uh, when I got home, my unsaved uh, stepdad, who had raised me, uh, majority of the of, of those years, um, you know, he wasn't saved, so he didn't mm. know the the godly approach to take towards that, but he fussed and cussed me out. Mm. Um, you know, like you can't be weak and, you know, all that karate Batman stuff, you run around playing and you can't defend yourself, you know, yeah. so, it, you know, the enemy um, whispered a lie in my head that I had uh, agreed with. And he said, you know, and he, you know, when police got called, they couldn't help. Um, not that they were bad officers, it's just they had nothing to go off of. Yeah. And so, you know, the enemy whispered to me and said, um, you know, you get you need to protect yourself and all these good grades and stuff ain't gonna do it. Mm. And so, um, in a sense, I ended up becoming rebellious and um ended up becoming the very thing that I hated and just trying to protect myself instead of being the I I was going off of fear, um that if I can't be the predator, then I'm gonna be the prey again. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like playing the victim. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, man, the enemy whispered to me and I bought it. Uh, first, a first class ticket, I bought a seat to that. And that paved the way for a lot of mistakes in childhood. And I'll just get the record straight. You know, I grew up in a nice family home. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I had a broken home. I'm not from the projects. I hadn't been raised in the hood. Um, you know, Baltimore was a little rough, but it wasn't like, um, my my typical the typical story you would hear is not my typical story. You mm-hmm. know, it wasn't a broken home as much aside from Jesus, yeah, not being you know Lord. But yep, so that was childhood, man. So you got that one way ticket, and your trajectory changed, and you found yourself getting caught up in the things you never thought you'd get caught up into. Oh yeah. So. What is it that brought you back to God then? What is it? Or not even maybe not even brought you back to God, but how did you meet God? Um I actually met the Lord 
directly. There was a series of chains and events, but one that uh, that sh- that that takes the the whole cake in it is um my uncle man, and um he was a f- always a funny guy as long as I can remember back. He was always that funny uncle, you know. He always was a pastor at the same time, and so like um apparently before I had been born, he had you know done a lot of things in the streets, uh you know owned a couple of businesses through illegal means mm. and drugs and all of that, and so. Somehow or another, I kind of liked the imagery of that aspect. I mean, at that time, you know. Yeah. Um, but he was always a pastor, and so God always used him to um, to do things of Christ in my life or to say things of Christ, and I would give him time of day because of his past. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know how God does. He's he's <laughs> He hooks you up, you know. So uh-huh. um, it happened to be one day when my uncle got sick. Um, he got really, really sick, Lost, the, kept on up, lost a lot of water, weight, um, Lost like 20 pounds in a matter of days. Mm-hmm. And so when they ran all the tests, because um, he's a veteran, he went to the VA. And when the doctors ran all the tests, they found out that he had, um, Agent Orange was in his system from a long, from 20 years, over pri- however long ago. Mm. And um, that he had stage four incurable bone marrow cancer. Mm. And so, you know, 17 at the time, something like that, and in the streets. That didn't really, you know, register or hit home. Um at all at that point in time until I got a call some months afterwards from my aunt. And, um, you know, he had done every medical thing they suggested, all the chemo, all that stuff, and it, mm-hmm. everything progressively got worse. Um, and so when she called me, she said, it's time to say your final goodbyes to your uncle. Um, he's on his deathbed. Mm. And, you know, so I went and it was all surreal at that point in time. and. You know, so I walked in and, you know, hey, how you doing? Try to cheer him up. And mm-hmm. conversation was going good until he said, yeah, you know, he said, the doctor said I'm going to die. He said, but Jesus said I'm healed. <laughs> That's when the whole conversation took a, a turn because I'm like, man, they must be giving you some good morphine. In <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. You must be getting something good. Uh, you know, I'm like, this ain't church. This is real life. This mm-hmm. ain't, uh, you know, these these doctors is not, you know, uh, from, div- you know, they're not, they're, this ain't made up. They're from Harvard and all this other stuff. They know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I just shouted him out as crazy. And mm-hmm. um, turns out I was the crazy one because that, that final week that they gave him tops had passed. And in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, mm-hmm. um, he wasn't dying quick enough. And they ran all of those tests again. And stage four, incurable, um cancer that they uh had taken samples out of him of um you know was completely and amazingly gone Mm -hmm. all the way gone Mm -hmm. no medical explanation um even funnier because he was a vietnam vet they gave him a rare uh, deathbed disability check of 110 percent um but if i didn't notice but if you don't die they can't take it back yeah (laughs) so (laughs) That was in 2003. I just seen my uncle a couple of days ago. He's still Gosh. alive, making 80K a year after taxes, mm. um, doing absolutely nothing except, you know, obeying the same Jesus that that he told me about in that hospital room. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a big step of faith, too, to go against doctors and to say, you know what, I know what they're saying, but I know yeah. what Jesus told me, so... And not only doctors, but like you said, you didn't believe him. He probably had most of his family and friends not believing him. So oh, yeah. he had to step into that. So what did that, you know, did that immediately impact your faith or did that plant a seed? That planted a big seed. It slowed me, it slowed me down for like a couple of days. Um, yeah. 
you know, till I went back outside in the streets, then, <laughs> then it was the furthest thing from my mind. Right. Um, you know, and then a uh, series of things uh, that I had taken part in that was young, dumb, and stupid, and ungodly. I had done a, a good amount of things in a particular set of small time, a couple of days or something. Mm-hmm. And I needed to lay low, get out of town for a minute, just yeah. to play it smart. And I figured, well, hey, if they, you know, if I'm... If I found out anyway, you know, I, I would know from word of mouth, um, you know, but I'd be far away. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I didn't tell nobody, I didn't tell my friends, my homeboys and all that, didn't tell nobody. And so when I left, I don't know why to this day, I decided to lay low at a pastor's house. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but apparently, um, oh man, I, I'll never forget that day. Um, you know, I went to, I, I went, you know, to their house, my uncle and aunt's house and, I relaxed and um, I think I went to sleep that night, but that next morning, yeah, that next morning, my uncle's house, um, as as all pastor's houses typically are, it's always a lot of traffic, a lot mm-hmm. of people. Pastor Don knows what I'm talking about and his porch knows what I'm yeah. talking about. <laughs> you know, so, um, but this one particular morning, there was nobody there. Um, people had had an appointment to come by, some other pastor friends of his, and they were late. Um, nobody was there, and this whole house that's always been busy from as young as I can remember until uh, that particular day. You know, nobody was there, not even my aunt. It was just mm. me and my uncle, and um, my uncle said, man, this is crazy. He said, nobody's never not here, and he said, I don't know why. He said, my my friends is, you know, a mile of time late. He said, they ain't never late, and then midway mm. of him talking, he looked at me and said, hey, let me talk to you for a minute. <laughs> You know, he picked up on that appointment, and uh-huh. um, he asked me a question. Uh, he said, what do you think about Jesus? What does Jesus mean to you? And I, f- I just thought, because I was raised in church and heard all that stuff, uh, that I could supply an answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, in as much so that my mouth moved and I couldn't finish the sentence, I was like, oh, yeah, well, Jesus is, you know, well, what I mean to say is Jesus to me, Jesus, and then after about five minutes of stumbling through that, <laughs> I was like, man, I honestly don't know what mm. he actually <laughs> means to me. And, um, you know, I, I found that to be intriguing at that point in time. Because um, at that time, especially, I had an answer for everything. You yeah. know, I think you know everything and all that. Mm-hmm. And so um, he said, let me pray for you. And he does this prayer, um, this bothersome prayer to call some things out specifically that I know he had no idea um Nobody knew about these certain things. My closest friends that I had done crimes with didn't know this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so he prayed and said amen. And um, not too long after that, the doorbell rang. You know, the divine appointment time was closed, or so I thought. And when his <laughs> friends came in, um, they were like, you know, well, let's, you know, let's pray. They had a thing about praying before they did some work. They was doing some little house stuff, work, mm-hmm. whatever. And, you know, so they prayed. Um and happened to say the same exact prayer that my mm. uncle said. And so I tried to, I mean, really, I opened my eyes in the middle of the prayer because I thought it was a joke. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> I thought it was something funny. And when I, you know, looked up, they all, their eyes were closed, fervently praying, you know. Um, and then as they were still praying, I just tried to, like, put pieces together as to how this happened. And so I'm like, well, maybe he heard it. Maybe my uncle's phone was on, the cell phone was in his pocket or something. Mm. Like, no, the cell phone's not in his pocket. I know where that's at. <laughs> like, well, maybe the, maybe the window is broke, and that's what they came to fix. No, the window's perfectly normal. It's the screen part of it that's broke. 
that you can't, the window's thick, you know. Mm-hmm. No logical explanation. Um, man, I got the the whole goosebump feeling and right. the hair standing up on you. Um, and then once they said amen, my uncle looked at me and he said, from now on, he said, your life will never be the same. And when he said that sentence, um, I've never been a crying type of person. I mean, because of, not to be cool or cute or nothing, uh-huh. but um, because of trauma. Yeah. Um, there will be times in life while I tried to cry or something serious would happen, but I just couldn't um, because of traumatic things when I was younger. Uh, but man, when he said, your life will never be the same, something hit my face. Mm. And the next thing you know, I'm trying to fight tears from yeah. coming. <laughs> I mean, literally, my face was contorting. I could feel uh-huh. a struggle. It was like a, like something in me versus something that just is hitting me is fighting right now. Yeah. And I ain't in on the game. I yeah. don't know what's happening. <laughs> Scared me so much, man. I came back to Richmond. You mm. know, I left because <laughs> um, they live in Chesapeake, and at the time, and so you know, a couple hours away, an hour and a half. Scared me so much, man. I came back to Richmond, brother. Mm. Couldn't explain that, and um, ended up sitting on my back porch. Can I? Can I get honest mm-hmm. real quick? Smoking weed, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, just contemplating what all happened and. Is God actually real? And, um, you know, the the full-on struggle for the million-dollar question of my life, um, you know, and so as I'm smoking, just like, man, somebody got to be up there. It ain't no way that it's not. It was too many things I've been involved in. Um, one time I was far, far away in another state, and uh, some, some friends I was with, not saying that I was bad to the bone, um, nor my my friends, but the people they were associated with. I mean, mm-hmm. were, you know, I mean, stone cold, uh, you know, hustlers, murderers, you, you name it. Um, serious people. And mm-hmm. I found myself in the car with them one night. Um, and, you know, my friend is driving and there was an issue. And this was a big gang thing at the time. It was like, yeah, this person is testifying, lives in this house. And it's like, we're going to shoot it up. So they all came to this understanding. Everybody's going to shoot this house up. And in that situation, you in the car, you're affiliated, whether you mm-hmm. like it or not. And the last thing you want to do is say no. Right. Um, the pressure and um, all of that stuff. And so literally multiple guns hung out the window um, while the car is driving two miles an hour. And everybody squeezes trigger and not one bullet comes out. Mm. One of the weapons didn't have a safety on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are people who never played about uh, – they could, they could shoot a person and go to lunch. Mm-hmm. These weren't the type that you – Pressure of squeezing a trigger with five pounds of pressure was not an issue to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we drove off, uh, I remember the, the the leader of that thing and all of that, he said, you know, I'm not no religious person, nothing. He said, but God was with whoever was in that house. And I never forgot little stuff like that. Mm. Um, because it was seeing something from the other side of the fence and not from a theological standpoint or a biblical standpoint even, but from yeah. the from the ungodly standpoint and just seeing them things and then my uncle and all that, like, man, all right, somebody got to be up there. And I'm like, mm. you know what? If my uncle said his name is Jesus, then it, I, I bet it is actually Jesus. And so I said, Lord, I said, I'm going to give my life to you 100%. And I meant what I said. And, you know, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, took a brief nap. Went to Henrico County Courthouse to pay $80 on something. Got the cuff slapped on me and was looking at life in prison. <laughs> So, you know, not even 24 hours from being yeah. saved. Like, the devil didn't get the memo. You're supposed to give me some time at least. <laughs> you know, let uh-huh. 
get my church service on on my WWJD. I didn't even get a bracelet, you know. I didn't yeah. get a JD bracelet <laughs> yet. So you, you gave your life to God and then got cuffs slapped on you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, the story doesn't stop there, but, I, you know, before you go on, you know, two things that really strike me. You know, I've just come to learn our powerful ways that God has, that God works. So one of them uh, is spiritual strongholds, mm. right? Like yeah. Uh, yeah. there are these ways that we're operating that if we push pause and say, you know, God, where is this coming from? We may find out that something that we're attributing to, you know, a spouse or a friend or, or work or a situation actually has its roots years and years and years before and it's just it was just powerful to hear for you you've been able to track down that part of what shaped this identity in you that wasn't the identity that god had for you was this moment in your life where the enemy whispered one small thing and you took it and ran with it um i mean it's just powerful especially knowing the rest of your story and how god undid <laughs> that lie. Oh, yeah. But the other thing is, um, you know, the, the phrase words of knowledge, you know, the ability that God can give somebody to know something they have no right to know. And you got, you got to double down one, your <laughs> yeah. uncle speaking words of knowledge, things that he had no right, no way of knowing, but then his friends coming in and doing the same thing. And so I just, you know, I just wanted to stop to name. Those are really powerful ways that God worked in your life. And man, what a gift that is. <laughs> from God, yeah. that it wasn't simply a, you went to a church service, you liked what you heard, and you gave your life. I mean, God was pursuing you so hard, he pulled out the big guns. Yeah, <laughs> messed me up. I've come across this sometimes with some people like, man, I wish I had a testimony like yours. And I never, you know, under really understood that. Um, mm -hmm. Because God works, I mean, it's like no different than Jesus hanging on the cross. Um, there was more than one road to get there. You know, somebody could have been on the other side of, you know, uh, Golgotha looking and seeing Jesus from the cross that way. Some mm -hmm. people could have took the main road. Some people uh, were the soldiers taking part in crucifying them. So everybody was there in different ways, yeah. and, and, but everybody was still at Jesus. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, if somebody feels like they don't got a radical testimony, that's great um, because, you know, regardless, we were all sinners at some point in time. And mm -hmm. the Bible didn't say, you know, when somebody you know, gives their life to the Lord that, all the angels see if it was a great testimony and then they yeah. rejoice. No, they rejoice all regardless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, people don't understand what makes a good story. Right. And mm. what everybody wants is the Avengers in game testimony. Like right. they want the action. They want the drama. They want, they don't know all the hard things that go into <laughs> making yeah. that story. And I can't think of an example right now, but there's been so many times where I've seen action movies and loved it and it was great. But then sometimes I've watched another movie that, was just a simple story. There were no explosions. There was no like high drama. Mm -hmm. It was just a solid, well-written story. And I've, I've seen movies like that that I've really enjoyed. Yeah. And for some people, that's the testimony that God's given them. That it isn't the, man, everything was awful and I was at my deathbed, but suddenly right. it is the faithful presence of God that's just guiding them through. And so I think for, yeah, that for those people, I would say, God is the best story writer in the world. Oh, yeah. So the story he's writing for you is the best story for you. Yeah. And so if you don't feel like you've got a good story, then maybe the question is, hey, God, help me to see my story as you see it. Mm. Help me to see the value in my story and help me to not compare my story to others because that's their story and you've given me mine for a reason. Yeah, that's deep. So for your story, 
I think somebody who is kind of following along would probably think that that moment where you, you know, 2 a.m., give your life to God, and then later that day, get life in prison, like, put in front of your face, they would say, all right, that's it. Like, that's when he turned back. Hmm. Um, that's not your story. Oh, no. Far from it. Um, I think, um, and this is an important thing, people rarely see, brothers and sisters rarely see it because you got to walk through it sometimes to see this. But, um, you know, for some, not all the time, for some, a radical conversion is all that's needed. For others, a radical conversion is just the beginning of the race. Mm-hmm. It's not the finish line. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was just the beginning of my race, man. And uh, there were so many things that happened miraculously in that time. And God's been dealing with the miraculous and showing up in miraculous ways ever since. Um, but, no, there was uh, stumbles, falls, trips, uh, sometimes jumps, not even falling from grace, jumping from grace, mm-hmm. uh, being on a 50-story building of grace and jumping off. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a very important part to see. And there's always room for growth, and there's always room for um, all these things. I think something that was even interesting, and I'm not comparing one to another, you mm-hmm. know, and there are backsliders that has happened from that time because I got out at, I think, 20, I don't know, early 20-something, you mm-hmm. know, and I got locked up at 18. So there was a lot of there was a lot of things that was missed in that time. And uh, the age you go in, for any person that gets incarcerated, seemingly is the age that they come out. Mm. You see this with guys who've done, multi, I mean, big numbers, 10, 15 years. They get out at age 50, but they walk, talk, act like, and even somehow have the health status uh, on average of that 15 years not even being evident that it's been missing from their life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it's um, time doesn't progress in there. You don't get birthday cakes in there. You don't yeah. realize that time goes by. Um, and so seemingly so, uh, you go out, you come out the same age you went in. Something important that resonates with this thing called being human and the spirit warring against the flesh and the flesh warring against the spirit is a big thing. Think about uh, think about Peter, right? So Peter mm-hmm. around Acts chapter 9, chapter 10 uh, gets a vision from God that basically allows him to know that, hey, there's some things that need to be revised in your life. Mm-hmm. And the Lord saw fit to drill it in his head by showing him that thing three times, not mm-hmm. just one, because mm-hmm. the Lord knew one wouldn't be enough. Um, and he told him, you know, rise, kill, and eat. He said, uh, you know, no, Lord, I'll never. And in the vision, he says, you know, don't call anything God has made uncommon. But when he explains it to the brothers within the next chapter, he says that he got from it not to call no man mm-hmm. uncommon. And uh, just backtracking with some filler filler information, but with, with, with Peter at the time, with Peter in Acts chapter 10, he had uh, the day of Pentecost that happened, right? Mm-hmm. He, had, he gave one sermon, 3,000 added. Next sermon, 5,000 added. Mm-hmm. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in front of him. Mm-hmm. He raised Tabitha from the dead. All of these miraculous things that happened. But yet and still, throughout all of that, and it wasn't until Acts chapter 10 just about Peter was still prejudiced. Mm-hmm. That was still in him. Yeah. And, you know, God allowed it to be worked out of him by giving him the uh, lesson first and then the test next by, you know, showing him the new revelation of something that's been wrong with them and then sending men to bring him to Cornelius' house to mm-hmm. live that out, right? Mm-hmm. And when he got to the brothers, they was like, man, we heard you been eating with these Gentiles. Like, what's up? You know, mm-hmm. and 
He was like, man, look, I thought the same as y'all, but God showed me this. And then the Holy Spirit fell on them just as equally. Sometimes as things progress in life, we don't get shown everything at one time. Yeah. Some people would even vouch to say, well, you know, how could God even move through Peter at the time if he was still prejudiced? Mm. And, you know, those are some questions. Mm. Those are some big boy questions yeah. that we ain't got the answer <laughs> to. Um, but, yeah, no, yet and still, it's been a process. It is going to be a process. That's a real dynamic. That's the good stuff to me, you know, less of the testimony and more of the blueprint behind it, the skeleton behind the muscles, mm -hmm. not just the, you know, the big pumping weights and veins showing, mm -hmm. you know, what's behind all that? What's in the skeleton? What's in the heart? Um, yeah. Yeah. So a question that's been sitting in my mind, you know, something that I think every Christian wrestles with is the scenario of, God, I tried to follow you, and then things got worse. Mm. And so, you know, again, you, you had that happen in a very, like, big way. You know, oh, yeah. God, I'm giving my life to you, and now suddenly, like, I wasn't expected to be arrested, but here I am. How was it that you kept walking towards God rather than using that as an excuse to say, well, God must not be real then, because if he was real, he wouldn't have let this happen? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, that's an amazing question. I think that really the biggest thing was once I got there, everything was bad about the scenario. Not even the time I was facing, but the details of the case, mm -hmm. um, which I was, you know, 100% wrong. The conditions of the old Richmond City Jail at that time, mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was horrible, horrible. I mean, inhumane. If the time, if looking at the time didn't put you in a state of shock, the conditions of the jail definitely did. Yeah. Um, there was this one point in time before all of that really settled in where I sat in the cell and couldn't find a Bible. I found a Bible eventually that somebody else had it on their bunk and I asked them for it. He let me get it. And I, had, I laid down, put the blanket over my head. I still could see light. And I just was like, okay, so, this is not what I expected. Mm -hmm. You know, like, this was not in the game plan. This, I don't know what this is. And at that time, I only knew, there was only one scripture I could remember. I mean, I, I couldn't even, I didn't even have John 3.16 under the belt notch right. at that time. <laughs> but there was one scripture. And I just was like, God, I'm like, if you're, if you're there and all of this is a, I just need to know that you're here. I need to know that you're real for myself. I got to mm -hmm. know it. Not from seeing things or from my uncle, uh, his experiences, none of that. Um, I'm like, I don't, no human interference. I need to, I need to know that you're existent mm -hmm. to me, Jesus. I need to know you're existent. And there was a half a scripture I remembered. And um, it was about, um, it was in Isaiah 61, actually. And I just shouted the little bits and pieces of the scripture that I remember my grandma saying one day when I was 11. Uh -huh. And then randomly flipped open the Bible and landed exactly on that when my eyes opened. Mm. And then the rest of Isaiah 61, I read the whole chapter, and it was more like a conversation than a scripture. And it was God saying some things. And I was heavy in, um, in the robbery at that time when I was younger. And so even... Even in that scripture, he was like, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery. Like, this was a conversation. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe, you know, somebody uh -huh. who was not familiar with scripture. I'm like, I can't believe this is so direct to yeah. me. And so that took the weight off at that time. I mean, everything I was facing and everything I had done, more than even what I had got incarcerated for at that time. All of that washed away in that moment. And I knew that, like, it's real. Mm -hmm. like, he's real. Everything, he's real. That has to mean everything that he said is real. And then, you know, after that, and it just felt, I mean, I felt like a million dollars at that point in time. It was like I wasn't even in jail. 
Mm-hmm. It was like the first time I was free since I got robbed. Yeah. Um, and you know, so it was that's what kept me going. I had to, I had to get in front. I didn't know what it was called. Now I do. I didn't know then, but mm-hmm. I had to get, I had to get at the feet of Jesus. And um, I accidentally did that, not knowing what it was, and he responded. And um, you know, that's that's what kept me in the game, and that's that's what still keeps me in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Even today. Yeah, like I think one of the big traps for us as Christians is when we land in this place of feeling like our like it's up to us to know everything and to do everything right. Mm. For you, you weren't a theologian, you weren't, you know, a biblical scholar. Like you said, you didn't even have John 3:16. And, and I think what's beautiful about your story is you know the big thing is is that God was pursuing you. He had been pursuing you for so long and that he's the one who sent you to your uncles to get preyed on in a heavy way who was with you sitting on that porch even while you were smoking weed because God done he he was he cared about you that much he was there that he heard you and you know and he knew what was waiting for you at the courthouse yeah and it's almost like you know in his divine knowledge in knowing where you were about to go he yeah. wanted to make it clear that he was going with you. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, you ended up writing a book about everything that happened. And, I mean, we could spend hours just talking about specific stories. And it's amazing. Is that a book that people can get if they wanted to get? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a there's a website. I'll actually put you in touch with it. And Yeah. I mean, the thing don't cost but, like, $3. I don't, I don't do that to get a profit off yeah. that stuff. A small piece about that. And so it wasn't like I sat down and made a comprised collection of thoughts. Uh-huh. Right? It was, um, that book became a book, but it initially was from beginning to end. All it was, was a journal. Um, Jesus was doing so much miraculous stuff mm-hmm. and I had to write it down. It was like, so in other words, I was just the only, the story's not about me. Um, the number one most reoccurring, you know, how like word, Microsoft word has a word count. Mm-hmm. They also got like a reoccurring word count. So your number one top most uh, repeated word is is discovered and all of that. And mine was actually God. Mm. That was the most number one repeated, most common word in there. Yeah. And so it really, um, it's not even a story about me. It was just more about what, what Jesus can do in a life-threatening place or situation. Yeah. And you know, so it's like uh, no different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like they, the name was their name was on it, but it wasn't about them. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was about Jesus. So. Yeah, yeah, man. So it's called Beyond the Bars. Yep, Beyond the Bars. And I'll and I'll put a link in the in the description. But yeah, I would encourage anybody to read it because I mean there are lots of stories, and I mean yeah, like you said, they aren't stories about how great you were because half the stories you don't even know what you were doing or what was going to come next. Not at all. I mean half the stories weren't even necessarily what. God did in and for you, but how God, you watched God work for others. Like, I remember there was one about, uh, I think you gave a Bible to someone and there was something written in it that oh, was yeah. like, and then like another one where the the cell block was about to tear each other apart because of just the inhumane treatment. And it suddenly turned into a big party, like yep, a water a big, party or something. The baptism. <laughs> yeah. Never forget it. And, you know, and people like this was an environment where like day one, I'll never forget it. Day one, when I was there was, um, it was January, like January the 7th, ice cold outside, 30 degrees. All the windows at the top of the tier were broke. Um, mm-hmm. So as cold as it was outside, it was as cold as it was inside. No mm-hmm. heat, ice cold shower water, um, mm. ice cold food. And on top of that, um, 
you throw in seeing about nine, ten fights within that first 24 hours. I mean, inmates beating each other in the comas. Um, inmates jumping other inmates and stomping them to death. And no correction officer interference because they were equally as not, as, they were equally not as safe as anybody else. And mm -hmm. so they would wait until everything was done and come in and clean up. Mm -hmm. Man, just to see Jesus in that environment and to see him doing stuff, to see 100 plus men all singing holy, holy, holy. Mm -hmm. Murderers, convicts, hustlers, bank robbers. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it was mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah, man, it, it was it was God. And, you know, yeah, I'll never forget that stuff as long as I live because that was um, beyond evidence. And, you know, even now today when some people read it, they'd be like, how did you survive all of that? And I'd be like, man, I asked myself the same question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I had nothing to do with none uh -huh. of that. And, you know, obviously, you know, you're not doing life in prison. And so even yeah. that was a miraculous thing from God. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, you know, another question that's in my mind right now is, you know, when you were young, you you didn't really, you know, you went to two churches that were yeah. very different, so you weren't sure who God was, and so your identity wasn't tied into God. It was, you know, for a while it was tied into, you know, you were a good student, you know, yeah. you follow the rules, you do you do the right thing. The enemy contorted your image to, you know, you're, you're weak, so you better step it up. Like, you know, yeah. you, you know people aren't going to be there for you. You're on your own. So is this identity of isolation and having to, like, fight that the enemy used other voices in your life, like your stepfather and so forth, to, like, solidify. And you could have a different identity of yourself in your mind after having gone to jail. So my question for you is, who are you? Like, what is your identity today that's a good question you pulling out the big one <laughs> that's all right now today um believe it or not it's kind of simple because identity is right where i'm really at now shout out to samuel if you ever catch this um because this is something me and him have been talking about but identity is like a really big thing and so uh through prayer through fasting and through all of these things all ministry aside, you know, today I'm I'm a son of God, man. I'm a son of, we are all like sons and daughters of the most high God. And a mm -hmm. lot comes with that. A, a package that's so big that, you know, we we tend to not even get it all at one time. Yeah. Um, even though it's already there, you know. So, yeah, no, I'm his, I'm his son. I'm not minister. I'm not, uh, even though I may minister, that stuff is, <laughs> is minute, you know, um, you know, I'm a son of God on this planet, and, and God is, you know, our Father who art in heaven, and hallowed is his name. Yeah. You know, his kingdom come, his will be done. I love this part. On earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. Not on, not, you know, and it's in heaven, and we will get there one day and get it, you know, mm -hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, man, I'm I'm big. Um, brother, that's where I've been lately, identity, because I think a lot of times we get so tripped up as brothers and sisters, as children of God, we get so tripped up on who we are and and forget whose we are. Something that just struck me as I was praying about how to close this out is that as we walk towards God, it's not just an individual thing, but it is a corporate thing in the sense that 
as God works, as we walk towards him and allow him to work through us, it spreads out in ways we never could have imagined. You know, I think of Lawrence's uncle and his faith, particularly his faith when he faced death, spread out in ways that his uncle never could have imagined. I don't know exactly how the spread happened, but that spread has been happening throughout Lawrence's family. Some of you have already heard a story from his brother, because his brother is Kyle. And Kyle is uh, the one in the episodes, the, the Kyle and John episodes, where Kyle was shot in the back of the head and shouldn't have lived. And there was a miraculous story that came out of that, not just for him, but for John. You hear about Gigi in that story. Gigi is Lawrence's wife. And man, one day I'm going to have to get Gigi on this podcast because there are so many things that God has done through her and so many ways that I have seen her selflessly and quietly serve. And so while Lawrence's story is amazing, Lawrence's story isn't just for Lawrence. It is for everyone that he impacts, family, friends. It's for people that he serves. And that impact is going to spread further than he could have ever imagined to places he could have never gone in ways he could have never dreamed. And, and a lot of that he won't know about. Because the thing is, is, it's not about him, but it's about God's glory. You know, you might be thinking about your own past, your own moments of questioning who you are, your own moments of wrestling with spiritual strongholds. And you may not be able to see anything good ahead. But your identity is as a child of God. And if you walk in faith towards that identity, if you walk in trust, and who God as a good father will be, God can do things that are abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine because there is a power at work within you. So today I encourage you, take some time, stop and pray. Ask God, God, is there anything in my past that is impacting my understanding of who you've created me to be? Are there any spiritual strongholds that have allowed me to accept lies that just aren't true? God, show those to me and break those strongholds down. Ask God, God, who is it that you have made me to be today? Who is it that you've created me to be that I can now step towards something that I would have not stepped towards otherwise? Because the truth is, is God has created you in a very specific way. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's not just as a broad thing, but that is for today in this moment. So take a moment, ask God who you are, And then ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?